the market is certainly expecting a Fed rate cut in March. I think that that would likely be too soon, uh, and I would be surprised if that happened. But um, but the market is definitely positioned for a Fed rate cut in March. If you are not getting educated about local and national real estate market conditions, whether you're in real estate, you're in title, mortgages, finance, you advise anyone with any sort of decision, you're doing yourself and your client base a disservice. This is the Knowledge Brokers Podcast. I'm Tom Tool. I'm here with Lisa Chinati, but forget about Lisa. We have the chief economist from Realtor.com, Danielle Hale here. Danielle, we are stoked to have you on the show. One of the brightest minds when it comes to real estate analysis. Thank you for the time. Thanks for having me, Tom. Well, we're, we're, uh, I know this was a couple months in the making here, which is really exciting. So um, we, you sent us a lot of great stuff. And, and if you don't follow Danielle, you can go to realtor.com slash research. She puts a ton of great data on there. And I know knowledge brokers like myself and Lisa, we're going there using your stuff all the time to communicate with our clients on a national and local level. Um, you, know, you, you have some great predictions here. And I, I wanted to start with this. So we made some predictions the end of the end of the year, Lisa, I think it was. Um, yep. Two numbers in particular. We set like an over-under. I don't know if you're, you're a better, Danielle, but we basically set the line and, and picked over-under. So we had 4.25 million existing home sales in 2024, and the average 30-year fixed rate of 6.375% for the year nationally. Lisa and I both took the over on existing home sales and the under on rates, you have the complete opposite predictions. <laughs> I'm on so, the other side of that bet. That's right. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us about that? How did you get there? I know Lisa's got some follow-up questions, but that's a great place to start. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, given that we had expected mortgage rates to be higher, it makes sense that our home sales projection is a little bit lower. So uh, when rates are higher, we tend to see less activity for two reasons. One, because it's it's more expensive for first time home buyers to get into the market. And two, because we have this thing called the rate lock phenomenon going on. I know your agents are very familiar with this. It's when you have a homeowner that is sitting on a very low rate, maybe 3% or so, and they're looking at what mortgage rates are now and thinking, I don't want to reset my cost of funds on my home. I, I don't want to make those higher mortgage payments to trade up. Uh, and so they stay put instead waiting for lower rates. And so we expect that both of those phenomena are going to be important in 2024, and that's going to help uh, put some pressure on home sales. And so we are we are expecting just 4.1 million home sales for the year in 2024. It's going to be roughly on par with where we ended 2023. We think that's awesome. I follow that up. Yeah, uh, totally. So I think one of the things that when I was looking at your reports and the data, one of the things that uh, you mentioned clearly was the flat year-over-year -year sales. The other was that the um, inventory of existing homes would actually decrease. And so, uh, and it, I think was a substantial decrease, I think double digit percentage points, if my memory is correct. Um, what do you think is going to lead to such a hefty decrease in the inventory um, with flat sales? Yes. So the big reason that we're projecting um, such pressure on inventory is um because we don't see as much of a pickup in sales activity, and I will say a lot of this is predicated on the mortgage rate forecasts, which already only one month into the year, mortgage rates have come in better than we forecast. But uh, because we expected mortgage rates to be higher than they are already, 
uh, we expected that lock-in effect to continue to be a really important factor for homeowners. And because that lock-in effect is going to keep people on the sidelines, you're not going to have as much turnover in the housing market. And that means that the total inventory level, which in this case includes not just homes that are actively on the market, but those homes that are in pending status or any other unsold statuses, was going to be low. So that's, that's why we expected some further drop. Essentially, we expected that mortgage rates would start to decline, but remain relatively high. And as a result, 2024 was going to be relatively frozen. And I think that's surprising to a lot of people, because even though we expected mortgage rates to come down a little bit, we didn't think it was going to be enough to jolt the market. And here's why. After years of mortgage rates climbing and that upward pressure on rates becoming the norm, uh, we think that we're going to shift to a downward trend which is great news for the housing market, but not so great from the perspective of buyer urgency. In an environment when mortgage rates are rising, every time there's a dip in mortgage rates, people think, now is my chance, I can jump in finally, catch a bit of a break before rates go higher. But once that trend shifts and the big picture expectation is that mortgage rates are going to decline, we expected to see somewhat less buyer urgency in the market because that pressure of jump now or you'll, you'll miss your chance forever just isn't there to the same degree. So we'll see if that plays out. Interestingly, we just saw some uh, survey data from Fannie Mae that said that for the first time in many years, the number of consumers who think mortgage rates are gonna go down actually equals the number of people who say it's gonna go up. Typically, the number of people who are expecting mortgage rates to go higher far outstripped the number of people who said it was gonna go lower. So I do think that consumer um, expectation is changing and we'll see if that translates into a shift in how they react to the market. One thing I want to kind of follow up on here, I mean, you have this phenomenal 2024 national housing forecast where you, you literally go by all the major metro markets in the area about what's going to happen with sales and what's going to happen with prices. And I'd love to hear your, your take on this. Obviously, we're talking nationally right now. How important is, is it for agents to understand the local trends? Because so many people, they quote these national numbers and they're just wrong locally. And I think this is, I mean, because you look at, I mean, there's some wild swings here. I mean, you're talking about, you know, I live in Pennsylvania. Harrisburg and Carlisle is, is is a place that's a couple hours west of me. They're expecting a bump. Philadelphia, you're seeing a decline. Can you talk about the importance of local data for agents? And you guys do a really great job on this. So that's another reason you want to check out the realtor.com research website. Yeah, that's super important. In fact, actually, I think probably the biggest marketing tip for agents not just is not just to know your local stats, but you know, take some of the resources that we're putting out, the national resources, or even our monthly housing reports, which go down to the, the level of the top 50 metro areas. And you can say, here's what's happening nationally, but to your buyers and sellers and you know anyone else in your client list, here's what I see in our market. And here's how we're performing in ways that are similar to the national context. But here's what's different. I think that's a great marketing tip for anyone looking to leverage this data with their clients, because it, it is true. We talk about the national market, but it's really just the summation of what's happening in each of these different areas. And this year is a great example. You know, we've got double digit price growth in some of our markets. And on the flip side, we're expecting you know, pretty sizable price declines in others. So it really depends on where you are. And as an agent you know, on the ground working with consumers, you know, the national trends are what they're going to hear about most often in the media. But what really matters is what's happening locally. Lisa, I know you got a follow up to this here about uh, some of your forecasts. And uh, why don't you take that next question? 
Yeah. So I, I think one of the other ones that was interesting to kind of look at in your forecast was that your forecast showed a really small dip. I think you were projecting like 1.1% in homeownership rates, uh, but it's still insanely a great deal higher than the historical averages. And so I guess I'm kind of curious into, do you see a situation where we return to those lower homeownership rates? Or do you think homeownership is going to kind of remain steady now that we've hit those those peaks? Yeah, that's a great question. So we're not at the highest homeownership rate that we've ever seen. If we look back to the mid-2000s, homeownership did get up to like 69%. We're now um, you know, just shy of 66%. But you're right. It, okay. is, it is on the higher end of what has been normal historically. Um, so uh, our projection is that we're going to kind of settle around where we are. We're not going to see the same gains that we have seen over the last uh, the last several years as we kind of recovered from uh, the mid-2000s. The homeownership rate got down to as low as like 62%, and now we're sort of slowly clawed our way back. Um, you know, it, it, it fits it hand in hand with our projection that we're not going to see a lot of movement, not a lot of sales transactions, not not a lot of change in price even, um, because the housing market is largely going to stay frozen in place. And and so a lot of people who are homeowners are going to stay homeowners. Um, you know, I think people have been talking about and worried about for a while that we might see some distrust in the housing market. Um, you know, last year there were even people talking about, you know, potential foreclosures. We don't expect that something like that is going to happen because there's a lot of equity in homes right now. Owners are sitting on a lot of equity. There's less debt in the housing sector than there has been in a very long time. And so most homeowners, certainly in aggregate, uh, and this is true for most homeowners, that they're in a really good position. So there's kind of not that same risk that, uh, you know, even if people get into difficult financial circumstances individually and they face, you know, they have some tough choices to make with respect to their individual housing situation, very often they could choose to sell their home uh, and walk away and still be in a positive equity position. And so, you know, I think we're going to see people be able to hold on to their homes. Now, if something were to change in the macroeconomic context and we were to see unemployment rates start to shoot up um, and more people experience financial stress and difficulty, you know, that could change that calculation a bit, but that's not what we expect. And so we expect rough steadiness in the homeownership rate. If you look at um, homeownership rate by age, as people get older, it's far more likely that they own a home. As people are younger, it's far more likely that they rent. Um, the interesting thing there is that for younger groups, we're starting to see that homeownership rate slip. So that's really uh, where we're going to see some potential pressure. But Changes like that happen very gradually over time. I do think that younger generation still has a lot of interest in becoming homeowners, but the market, even though we're uh, you know, projecting some optimism that maybe affordability is going to improve as rates drop and prices kind of stabilize, it's still going to be a challenging market. So that's why we're not expecting those gains that we've seen in homeownership to continue. It's such an interesting point. My my daughter's uh, just about 20 and homeownership in her generation is something that she's super passionate about. And I think they find that they're struggling with it. Um, and the, I think that there's going to be a resetting of expectations for what homeownership looks like, especially on first time buyer homeownership in a move forward. So Tom, what were you going to say? Since April, we have uploaded new and sought after courses, content, and tactical assets for your business into the BAMX platform not articles behind a paywall that only pontificate to you what you should think and do. 
but education that actually shows you how to do what you need in today's market. Every day, we continue to add more content into BAMX and our private Facebook community, content that works, content that our members have exclusive access to daily. It's why over 1,500 of you and climbing have joined us in BAMX. It's also why tomorrow's price is guaranteed to be higher than today's. That's called inflation. Do not wait any longer. Use code KNOWLEDGEBROKERS and join the thousands of agents taking their business to the next level today. Code KNOWLEDGEBROKERS for 10% off. See you in BAMX. We know that in 2024, your business operations will be more important than ever. Once I figured this out, my business was able to scale and take off. See, generating leads is one thing, but getting that deal across the finish line while keeping everyone happy is another story. Enter Mosaic. Everything you need once a lead becomes a client. Mosaic picks up where CRMs leave off to streamline the client experience and maximize your productivity. It's the operating platform that gives agents and teams everything they need to stay organized and proactive throughout the entire transaction process and beyond. Transaction management, forms, AI-powered collaborative search, client retention capabilities, and advanced analytics for your business. In other words, you can use Mosaic to create a powerful flywheel for your business. It will help you close every deal, boost your profitability, and generate more repeat and referral business. If you need a better way to run your business, Check out the link below and learn how Mosaic can help you today. Well, I, I was going to agree with you and kind of what we what we saw. I mean, and these are anecdotal, obviously, is that there was a there was a time there from, uh, you know, maybe like 2016, 2017, where a lot of first time buyers were going into like a move up home. They weren't yeah. buying like that two bedroom townhome or the condo or whatever right. that would be. They were they were kind of jumping into, hey, I'm having a family and and household formation has gotten delayed in the US. I mean, you know, it's it was unheard of to have kids in your 30s a couple of years ago. Now it's like very common, right? I mean, this is so that trend I think is going to reset Lisa to your point because right. A lot of people, I mean, you know, getting into a move up home now, especially with the appreciation that we've seen, it's going to be pretty expensive for some of these folks and and they haven't had the chance to build wealth and mature in their career yet. So I, I, I tend to agree with you there. I think that's a great point, Danielle. And, and uh, I, I think it's something that we, you know, it's, there's an opportunity there too, to, you know, educate those folks as well. Yeah, absolutely. It may, it, especially when the market is challenging, it makes sense to prepare them with the best information possible um, so that they can make good choices in the housing market. So I, I love this uh, talk about how we're not going to see the market crash and we're not going to see foreclosures. I mean, demand days on market still less than where it was pre pandemic, which, which is great. There's some wild card forces at play here. You mentioned this in your report. Specifically, we got a, what's going to be a hotly contested presidential election coming up. Not to be political, it's just going to be bananas. You mentioned geopolitical forces. You talked about you know inflation starting to subside. And when I look at elections, I always think of not so much what's happened the past couple of years, but what happened in the 08 election when you saw Barack Obama and John McCain like joining forces, like we're going to solve this problem and we're going to take care of the economics together. What do you see happening this year with some of these wild card factors? Because this is I, I, enough people aren't talking about this, and this could shape the market because obviously you know the current administration has influence on the Fed. You're in D.C. You know how all this stuff works. I, I'd love to hear your take on these wild card forces because these are things no one can predict, and they, they could have an impact on the market in 2024. Yeah, so the Fed, it's interesting that you mentioned that. So the Fed is supposed to be above influence from politicians and the political fray. 
Um, and, and generally, for the most part, they have seemed to operate in that way. But uh, there have been instances in the past where people have sort of questioned the integrity of the Fed, not this current Fed, but um, but in the past. So you know that that is, I think, a risk. But I think it's one that the Fed is aware of. So that's not one that I'm worried about. I do think the Fed is going to really try to stick to what the data suggests is the right thing to do uh, and to, to try as best as possible to ignore um, the, you know, the election and noise happening around it. It's, it's interesting though, I was looking at the schedule, the Fed almost always meets on a, um, a Tuesday, Wednesday, and they just so happen to have a meeting right after the election that I believe they have tentatively scheduled for Wednesday, Thursday, so that they're not oh, meeting on election day, which is interesting. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that's, that's something the Fed's going to continue to try to be as independent as possible and to just focus on the data. But, you know, when it comes to policy and the, you know, the, there's some pretty divergent opinions on what the right policy is for lots of different items in the U.S., you know, as far as infrastructure goes, trade policy, uh, domestic security. So there's a lot of potential outcomes as a result of the election. I think that those will have economic consequences. The one thing that I think both uh, both candidates, whoever they ultimately are, are likely to agree on is the fact that housing affordability is a concern. Um, I think they will have different opinions on how we address that. Uh, but I think if you talk to experts in, in the housing space, like myself, ultimately it comes down to housing supply and making sure that we are doing what we can to increase housing supply, to create more options for young people and to make things a bit more affordable. Um, so I think that that is likely to be an important component of the election because it's such, you know, it, it's a over the table topic that people want to talk about. It's a dinner table talk topic that matters to people. So I think it'll be interesting. I think we might see more housing conversations as part of the election this year. A fo quick follow-up to that is that um, you talked about housing affordability and I, I do agree. I think it's a supply issue. Lisa, I don't know if you have any difference of opinion there. It's all about supply right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in terms of some of these incentives that they were that, that they've talked about, I mean, do you see any like viable solution from a policy standpoint? And if you do, maybe you should run for office. I don't know. It's very it's not a great job, but, but what sort of solutions could they come up with? Because I, I just I, I've got some ideas, but I'd, I'd love to hear from from you. You're the expert because I don't, I don't know how much they can influence people to actually like make a move and enlist their houses. Yeah, I, I think it's a challenging thing to solve at the federal level. Uh, because a lot of the problem is local. Um, when it, you know, even if you get people to come back and list their homes for sale, you still have to create more housing because those people who are going to sell their homes need somewhere to go. Um, so I think whatever we can do to encourage additional construction, it would be reforms in zoning, uh, kind of addressing the permitting process to make that process easier. And a lot of those things have to be done at the local level. Um, the other thing that sometimes talked about is um, uh, that the way that um, Homes are taxed when they're sold, so there's a capital gains exclusion, um, which is you know great for people who haven't seen a ton of equity increase or are younger, but for people who have lived in their homes for a long time, or for someone who was married and then had a spouse pass away, for example, and you know you lose part of that um, capital gains exclusion in that case um, unless you act very quickly. Um, you know, so I think trying to unlock those longer term homeowners and, and give them some flexibility and options. That's another consideration. More important for, for certain parts of the country where homes are much, much higher cost and where they've seen greater appreciation. Um, 
but yeah, otherwise really focusing on the supply issue, but it's best done at a local level. So very hard to solve um, nationally for sure. It's actually a great segue. Um, I think, you know, when reading the reports, you had a ton of data about first time buyers and the opportunities that exist for them in some of the, the markets that are available. And I think a lot of the folks who kind of watch this podcast are in completely different markets that have been impacted at a completely different level. Um, so a little bit curious, what are your predictions about the luxury markets and how those kind of shake out in 24? Yeah, so luxury markets are um, an area that we have tracked off and on. I will say recently that hasn't been a big focus of ours as much, um, but we do sometimes partner with um, uh, different Dow Jones publications like Mansion Global to look at luxury data. Um, luxury markets have in general fared better. Uh, luxury buyers um, have have done okay over the last year. The stock market you know, is back close to all-time highs. That tends to um, put luxury buyers in a good position and uh, increase their interest in the housing market. Um, I am trying to remember some of the top markets that we've identified over the last year. I think one one of the top markets was uh, in Maine. The Portland area has done pretty well from a luxury, luxury perspective. But other markets that have surfaced over the last year have been interesting. They're not necessarily like the ultra luxury areas, but areas like Detroit or even parts of St. Louis, where luxury in those markets is actually affordable relative to uh, the national context. Um, so it has been interesting, even in the luxury market, there's been a bit more of an interest in affordability. Um, so I, that has been a surprising trend. That's fascinating. I love that you pointed out markets that people don't typically think of when they think of luxury markets. That was really cool. Yeah. That surprised me. There you go. So, so we're talking about, um, you have this list of like first time home buyer markets that are, how do you come up with that list? Because I, I think that the first time buyers have been the people that, out of all the folks in the marketplace, I mean, yeah, they're paying rent and the rent's been higher too, but I, I think they've taken it on the chin the most from you don't have enough down money, so we're not going to accept your offer. You're not willing to waive inspections. The parents aren't willing to come in and give a gift, which you see happen. How do you identify those markets? What factors do you look at? Because the opportunity I see for, of all the segments, I mean, you got the move ups, luxury, first time buyers now with the way the market is, I see an opportunity for them to actually buy a house in the next 12 months. Lisa, I don't know if you'll agree or disagree with that. So I'd love to hear how you identify those markets and maybe what factors they should be looking for, because there's always, you know, micro markets within the metro areas that you analyze. What, what, what should, what should first time home buyers be looking for? How do you identify that? Yeah. So that report kind of, it, it has two components. So one is like the data driven identification of markets component. And then we also did a survey alongside it. Um, and I suppose it, it's not terribly surprising that people who say they want to buy a first-time home are really optimistic about the housing market, um, not just about whether it's a good time to buy. They also think that they can afford a home, you know, 95% of potential first-time buyers say they're going to be able to afford a home within their lifetime, and 40% say they can do it within the next year. So that is um, really, that's huge. really good optimism. Yeah, especially in the face of what are still pretty challenging market conditions. So Buyer, the first-time buyers that are out there are optimistic. And then we married that data with um, some actual information on local markets. And we took a look at criteria that we thought would be important to first-time home buyers. So we looked at affordability. We know that's top of mind. Um, so we're looking at the price-to-income ratio for 
people in the 25 to 34 year age range. So uh, not all first-time buyers are in that age, age range, but a lot of first-time buyers are. We wanted to kind of tailor it to that first-time buyer um, purchasing component, purchasing power. We looked at job opportunities. So what's going to happen to the unemployment rate in the metro area? Um, with return to office being a phenomenon, we looked at commute times. We looked at the availability of homes for sale. So not actually the trend in the number of homes on the market, but the number of homes on the market relative to households in an area. So kind of like an absolute, are there a lot of homes for sale in this market or not? And then, you know, young people like to have stuff to do. So we looked at culture and lifestyle businesses like restaurants and cafes and theaters and that sort of thing. And then they also like to be around other young people. So we looked at the share of young homeowners in a market because it reflects not just young people in an area, but also an area where young people have already had some success in the housing market. So those are the criteria that we identified. And then instead of looking at the whole metro area level, we're looking at the city and, and town, what the Census Bureau calls the place level, which people might think of as, you know, like, yeah, cities and towns kind of groups of neighborhoods within a metro area to identify those hidden gems or pockets of affordability. I love that, especially being from Massachusetts, where our cost of housing and cost of living in general are so high. I love that there were two communities, which are basically Metro Boston for us. They weren't so far outside that it becomes unattainable, which has been a little bit of a switch over the press that Boston housing market tends to get. So I actually really loved some of those points and how you came up with that data. Yeah. And I think this is how first timers kind of approach the market anyway. You know, sometimes they can pick up and move anywhere, but but often they're right. in an area and they're just looking for that neighborhood that's going to allow them to break in. And that's what we're trying to surface here. Yeah, no, that was fantastic. Well, when you think about it, though, Lisa, I mean, this is what great agents are doing, right? They're saying like, because some people come into, you know, you meet them, you talk to them. Hey, I want to live here, right? Pick whatever neighborhood that is. Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. Um Yep. You know, Back Bay in Boston, whatever it is, right? You know, totally. downtown in D.C. And then they realize, like, there's no shot I can afford this. And, and that's just unfortunate because they're the best neighborhoods. But what are some of those, you know, transitional or neighborhoods where you, where you can invest in more? And I think that the more data that's out there and the more information, it's this is what good agents should be doing. And if you're not checking out these reports and seeing what the opportunities are in your market. Hey, and I mean, Zillow did the same thing. And they uh, they talked about like Westchester, where my office is in Pennsylvania. It's like the top housing market. And now everyone is talking about this. And I think this is just going to help people to see what, what's going on in the marketplace. Daniel, I love that you guys put this together. I think it's really, really thoughtful. Um, what about the other report? So what's what's the best market? Like, I mean, you have like the top housing markets, then you have the best for first time home buyers. I know th these lists always change. How do you determine what the best markets are? I mean, is there a different analysis that goes into that? Because I'm seeing places like Allentown, Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, Buffalo, Springfield, Mass is on there, Lisa. I mean, I know a lot of these towns. So I'm, I'm curious what your analysis is there. Um, I'm imagining it's similar, but you know, people, they, they hear best market. I don't think they really know what that means. Yeah. So I, I would say in this definition of best markets, um, we're looking at projected home sales and price growth. So, um, you know, it, you can sort of think of it as the projected dollar volume change in home sales activity over the course of 2024, which would mean these are good markets for agents and the industry and the business. Also good markets to be a seller because, you know, you're likely to see more activity and more price growth. 
not bad markets to buy into if you can compete in those kind of markets because they tend to be more competitive. But it, it, if you are able to buy into those markets, you know, these are the places that people generally want to be. And so you're likely to see, you know, steady, solid appreciation for your home in these markets. So that's the underlying definition of best markets. Affordability is not necessarily a consideration in this list, but you'll notice that many of the markets that surface to the top are affordable areas, though not all of them. Got it. Got it. Okay. That's super, super helpful. So Lisa's got a great question here because we're talking about everything that's going on in the market in terms of like, we're the best place for first time buyers, best place for sellers. Consumer confidence is really important. So Lisa, why don't you take that away? I think that's a great question you have here. Yeah. And you kind of alluded to some of it earlier. And I think that um, the slightly decreasing mortgage rates are definitely a part of it. But from your perspective, what do you see as the things that are most likely to impact consumer confidence and their maybe confidence in the market itself uh, throughout 2024? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So you got Confidence, generally speaking, in the overall economy, which does factor into how people feel about the housing market. And then I think you've got yep. housing confidence itself and whether people are interested in buying uh, or selling in this housing environment. So I think that economic con confidence is really kind of fundamental. And so the fact that we've continued to see the unemployment rate come in under 4%, um, it has surprised me at how long it has stayed so low. And I know I'm not the only <laughs> economist who has been surprised by this. I think the Fed even um, has acknowledged that the, the job market has been really resilient, which is great because it gives the Fed some of that wiggle room um, to make sure that it truly goes after and uh, you know squeezes out the inflation from the economy. And it hasn't led to some upheaval in the job markets. People are still in a fundamentally good place. We still continue to see wage growth. That's going to boost economic confidence as well. And I think that is fundamental for the housing market. So we're in a good place, economically speaking. Mortgage rates have been challenging. You know, the Fed has had to raise rates. That's translated into higher mortgage rates to squeeze out inflation. You know, but generally, we've seen some good progress on inflation. Just it was yesterday, um, the CPI data was out. And it was a little bit mixed for December. It was not a bad reading, but it certainly wasn't as good as it could have been. So. It's one month of data. Data can be noisy. Um, I don't think it's going to undermine confidence yet, but it is a little bit of a warning flag. So that's something that we're going to be watching as we move into the the um, you know the months ahead to see whether we can get that improvement in inflation back on track. I think that's going to be necessary to continue to see uh, mortgage rates decline. Um, you know, we've seen some stabilization in mortgage rates as a result of that uncertainty here. It's early, it's one month of data, but I think that is going to be important going forward. And I think, you know, for consumers, high rates are not good, but the good thing about having rates kind of shoot up to almost 8% in October is that it might have reset the benchmark for a lot of folks. And so today's rates that are closer to six and a half, six point seven percent feel much more manageable, certainly, than rates that are almost up to 8%. So that, I think, is a nice confidence boost and coming at a really good time seasonally for the housing market, because this is when a lot of buyers are planning for 2024 and thinking about, am I going to continue to rent? Am I going to, is this going to be the year that I'm going to buy? And sellers making the same kind of calculations, like, am I going to put my house on the market this spring? Are we going to try to make a move? If so, now is the time to start getting my home ready. So I've, lower rates are an important factor, and I think are going to lead to some maybe even better than expected results in 2024. I love that. I, I, 
I totally agree with your take on that because I look at what happened last year, right? So we had these rates kind of jump up in the fall of 2022. And then they came down to like that five, nine handle for about like three weeks in January and the market was blazing hot. And then that was the end of it now because they hit eight. And I think it goes back to the one thing we can't really analyze, which is human behavior, because some people are just going to make a move no matter what. It, it's created more confidence. And then there's also like the obligation of the agents that are out there. I mean, you're, you're talking about all this data. The unfortunate part about our industry is a lot of people don't do any of this research. And the folks that really help a lot of people, they, they can communicate this really well to consumers that are out there. And, you know, there, there's dialogues and ways to ask all this. Um, I wanted to follow up on uh, consumer confidence with the, the inflation reports. So I know there's a lot of predictions what the Fed's going to do. And I know what they've said. I've heard some analysts that are out there. You probably know who they are. We're going to see six rate cuts in 2024. The Fed said we're going to make at least three. What do you think the Fed's going to do when it's all said and done? And hopefully we're back on this pod 12 months from now. How many rate cuts are we going to see? What, what's your prediction for the Fed's behavior over the next 12 months? Yeah, I'm, I'm expecting closer to three because I think the Fed is going to err on the side of being a little bit cautious and making sure that inflation is truly not going to have any chance of coming back before they start cutting rates. But but let you know we'll see. I could be wrong about that. The market is certainly expecting a Fed rate cut in March. I think that that would likely be too soon, uh, and I would be surprised if that happened. But um, but the market is definitely positioned for a Fed rate cut in March. Um, so you know I think there's a gap between what the Fed says it's going to do and what the market expects, and that's going to have to close over the course of the year. Sort of as that closes, we're likely to see some volatility in mortgage rates, which does make things a little bit challenging for consumers, but at least I think the volatility is going to be tilted toward the downside this year instead of toward the upside, which is what we saw last year. Um, and, you know, it's something that I think is good advice for consumers in that market because you you can't, you just have to deal with the volatility. You can't change it. Uh, I like to tell people there's tons of mortgage calculators. If you're already working with a lender, you can work with your lender to do this, but kind of run a bunch of different scenarios so that you already kind of have an idea of what mortgage rate fluctuations mean for your monthly costs and your budget and kind of, you know, rate proof yourself. um, You know, banks go through stress tests. This is sort of like your personal mortgage rate stress test so that you already know kind of what that means for your budget. And maybe you, you set your housing budget a little bit lower so that you have some buffer room if rates end up shooting up. And it, you know, if they don't, that's great. You've got a little bit of extra cash you can you can use for moving and setting up your house when you get into it. So I think that's really good advice in this environment. That, that, that's great to hear. I mean, I, I tend to agree with you as well. I don't. I think six is a very aggressive number that I've heard some people say. I, I just don't. I don't see it happening. I mean, it seems like the Fed's been pretty methodical in their in their approach, and I don't see that changing any anytime soon. Um, Lisa, you had a question about like all the people that just transacted and what happens with them. I think this is very, very interesting because even though some people say like, Hey, I'm going to be here seven years, things change. Right. And I'm not, and not, not so much job relocation, but there, there's things that change rapidly or they just don't like their house, which is another factor. So take it away, Lise. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think one of the things that I've kind of been watching kind of shake out is as we hit, you alluded to it earlier, there's that capital gains implications for sales, right? And so folks who bought in 2022 are in an interesting kind of spot because they're coming up on that two-year mark of home ownership. Um, And looking at the data, prices may actually be relatively 
flat compared to 2022. We haven't had as much historical price growth over the past few years as we had in the run-up in 20 and 21. Um, and looking at where some of the interest rates are falling, they could be in a spot where interest rates are about the same, making it a lot easier to move into a new home. Any predictions or thoughts on what we see shake out with that particular cohort of consumers and whether there might be a change in their long-term maybe thought process about what home ownership and length of home ownership looks like? That is an interesting question. Um, so I will say we we don't have like that detailed of a take on it, but but I mean, I think that's an interesting point. So when we talk about mortgage rate lock, it's really a phenomenon for people who bought before that time frame, right. and for people who still have a mortgage, um, you know, I think I alluded to this earlier, but there's a larger share of homeowners today that don't have any sort of mortgage. So rate lock is an important phenomenon, um, but there are also lots of consumers who kind of don't fall into that constraint. It's those homeowners that don't have a mortgage, and also, to your point, homeowners who bought recently, who either have, um, you know, have a mortgage that's about at today's rates or maybe even potentially higher who won't feel constrained right. in the same way. The other thing, and I get this question a lot, it's like, at what rate does the housing market roar back to life? I mean, I think that's going to be like a really low rate, not one we're likely to see anytime soon. But instead, I think it's going to be kind of a bit of a trickle because for everyone, the rate that they've locked in is a little bit different. And the, um, the fit of their current house is a little bit different, right? You sort of it's this tension between, okay, it might be a little bit more expensive to move. My current house mostly works. And then it gets a little less comfortable and a little less comfortable. And at a certain point, it's uncomfortable enough that even if it's more expensive, you just got to make a move, right? Um, and that's going to be different for everyone. So I think it's going to be a, a factor of time and the mortgage rate. So the longer the mortgage rates stay elevated, or actually the longer time passes, regardless of what happens, those homeowners either who bought at a relatively high rate or who have, even those who bought at a low rate, are, they're going to accumulate equity faster. And that equity gives them more options, even if prices remain high, if mortgage rates remain relatively high. Um, and they're going to be looking at this trade-off. As time goes by, for most people, your you know life changes and your house might become more uncomfortable. You, you're more likely to outgrow it the more time goes by. And then at the same time, you build up that equity that gives you more options. So a lot of people talk about this rate where we're going to see housing activity spring back to life. I don't know that we're likely to hit that anytime soon. Instead, I think it's going to be this, this gradual uh, resumption of activity as people kind of have to move forward anyway, even if it's not necessarily you know, the most cost-effective choice. It's the choice that's right for them, even if it is more expensive. It's an interesting point. The the buildup of equity is something that I think gets overlooked a decent amount. We talk about the rate in the payment, but the buildup of equity, especially as the rate of appreciation stabilizes, definitely starts to come into play. I, I think that's a great point because, I mean, uh, I don't know if you know Steve Harney from Keeping Current Matters. He put out this tweet. I mentioned human behavior, and that's like the one thing you can't account for. I mean, it's sometimes things change, and no matter what's going on in the market, it's the right time to buy or sell. And that's where intelligent agents are asking the questions, but also able to educate with everything you're talking about here right. to show people, hey, here's how to get to the place where it's going to make sense for you. Um, you know, with that in mind, um, I mean, you know, we, we're constantly, you know, Lisa and I both have a work at Teams. I think between the two of us, we got close to 200 agents. 
what advice do you have for real estate agents right now that are trying to navigate all this? Because you're talking about a, a lot of like economic data and a lot of, and I get it. I know Lisa gets it. Obviously you get it. Consumers don't always get it. So how, how, what advice do you have for those knowledge brokers that want to take everything you're talking about and make it digestible for the average consumer that's out there? Yeah, that's a great question. And whether consumers get it or not, they are going to be exposed to this information. So that's the interesting thing about, you know, it just there's so much information available. The media talks about housing regularly, um, but there's a variety of different sources out there. Some are great, some are not so great, um, but your, your consumers are probably going to have heard something about what's going on. And so I think that is an opportunity for agents to kind of step in and, and ask questions and hear about what your consumers think based on what they've heard already, and then kind of, um, you know, agree or, or redirect that attention based on the information you have. But at um, Realtor.com, our research team tries to um, cover the most important housing and economic indicators that are going to affect the market. And we try to do a really short uh, agent and consumer friendly write up of, you know, here's what happened in the latest jobs report, and here's what it means for you, here's what happened in the latest CPI inflation report, and here's what it means for you. And we've got that stuff up at realtor.com slash research. We've also got it on um, X or tw uh, Twitter, which is now X, um, to try to put that information out there. And like we were talking about earlier, you know, we're often talking about national trends, um, but then I think as an agent, kind of taking it down to what you're seeing at the local level. So we'll talk about the national unemployment rate and what's happening with jobs nationally. But, you know, if you're in um, Austin and you're seeing tech companies relocate, you know, that might be something that you highlight in your market or, uh, you know, in the Northeast somewhere and you're seeing, uh, you know, companies move in. That would be something that you would highlight to, to give your consumers that perspective. And I think the same thing goes with the housing data. You know, there, there are national trends, but then the local trends on the ground are what are so much more important. And a lot of the information that we put out there is designed to be consumer friendly, but I strongly suspect that it's a lot of agents that are on our site taking that information and repackaging it and giving it to their consumers. So they've put this nice wrapper around it um, and you know use it as a great marketing tool, which I think is a wonderful thing for them and for the consumer because it elevates their level of information about what's going on in the market. I, I love that. And what what you probably, I think one, one way they can also benefit from this is just send them the stuff from realorder.com slash research because it's third-party validation of whatever you're telling them. It's not because people look at real estate agents. They think, all right, Lisa and Tom, all they want to do is sell another house, <laughs> which may not be wrong, by the way, because that's what we do. But it's, you, it's, it's you're really just helping people and, and showing them that information. So I think that's, that, that's great advice, Daniel, especially coming from someone like you who's got a wealth of knowledge here. So um, I've got kind of a bonus question here. Have you been following the commission lawsuits? I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Have, have, and I mean, this is something that is like the hottest topic right now in real estate. I'm curious what what you think about all this. I mean, there I think there was more copycat lawsuits announced this week. What what's your take on that? And so you can't be in real estate and not know about these lawsuits. I think. Sure. Um, and you know, so I do follow them. I am not a lawyer, um, so I can't speak. To Neither are we, by the way. So <laughs> yeah, good. so I, I can't I can't speak to the legal issues, but I think. You know, it, it's it seems likely to me that the environment is going to change. I mean, I know everything is going through um, the appeals process, but there there are so many lawsuits. It seems likely that something is going to change. Um, but you know, there I you know I've listened to some other people talk about it who follow far more closely. I think I think the fundamental question is, do buyers agents add value to the transaction? 
if they do, and I believe that they do, and if buyers understand that, I think they're still going to be an important part of the transaction. You know, I've bought homes, always used a buyer's agent. I appreciate, even as someone who studies a space, I appreciate the advice and expertise of a professional who can guide you through the process. Um, and so I think it's important. The question is, uh, you know, can the industry make sure that consumers continue to understand that? Um, and if so, I think buyer's agents will continue to be an important role. But it does seem like the compensation structure um, may in fact change. Um, but as long as there's value there, you know, I, th I think that there's a role for agents to play in the transaction. I don't know, what are your thoughts on it? Lisa, why don't you go ahead first here? I think that there'll be some um, structural changes to the way that it works. I think that there'll be a lot of paperwork changes that will shake out as a result of it. I think that there'll be far more disclosures required. Um, I think it's going to require something that we talk about all the time, knowledgeable agents who can sell their value um, not just to the consumer, but within the industry and being able to understand the topics that we've spoken about today, but also the process and um, how to get through. I think you're 100% correct. The consumers really value the expertise. They value the guidance and they value the knowledge that a skilled agent brings to the table. Like I said, I think there'll be some changes, but I don't think it's catastrophic for the industry. And some of the changes I actually think will be positive. I think can, agents will be able to work truly in the best interest of the consumer. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with Lisa. I'm going to be a little more, uh, I'm going to actually pick a side here. Lisa tends to like riding the fence and kind of be on both. So um, one of our over under predictions was 1.4 million agents uh, in the US. And I believe we're going to see agents just just drop out because there's not an entitlement to commission anymore. Um, yeah. I do agree with you, Danielle, in that, hey, people got to know what they're talking about. And so you're, you're a great example. You know more about housing than most people. Most consumers don't. They, they don't. You could be like a doctor or a lawyer. They, they know nothing about the housing market. That's just the reality because it's not their field of expertise. If someone like you is seeing value, and I'm, I would work under the assumption that you had questions you asked these people before you hired them. You talked to them about it. You said, hey, like X, Y, and Z, what do you think about this? And if you can't answer those questions you're going to be out. And, and that's, you know, people that work at their craft, that study the market locally, that understand the ins and outs of how to negotiate. And you mentioned it as well. How do you communicate that to consumers? Hey, here's what I can do differently for you than the average agent. Does that sound like something of interest? And when you have that kind of value proposition, which is what we all, I mean, you know, we, we all get paid for the value that we bring, right? That's all of us here, um, in, including you, Danielle. I, I'm clear that that's going to be something that you have to be able to do. And if you can't handle these questions and communicate it, then, you know, it's, we're going to see people drop out of the industry that just aren't ready for it. This isn't an easy business like people think. And, you know, it's, it, it's not just show up and sell a house. So uh, I think it's going to be for the benefit of consumers and for the benefit of agents that are really serious about their business. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. It's going to be interesting. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. So Lisa, you got anything else? We covered a lot here, Danielle. This was tremendous. Any, any last questions from Lisa Chinati here? No, no last questions, just massive appreciation for your time and for sharing your knowledge with all of us, because I think it's insanely impactful and we know how valuable your time is. Yes. I, I second you. that. Yeah. Thanks for coming. This was killer. Realtor.com slash research. That's where all the best takeaways are. 
on the 2024 housing market predictions, CPI data, first-time buyer reports, top housing markets. Danielle covers it all with her team at Realorder.com. Danielle, thanks again for coming on. This was awesome, awesome. One of our top pods that we've done here on Knowledge Brokers. I feel like we got some credibility having you come on. Hopefully you got some value out of it as well and uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Catch you guys next week. Go get that knowledge.